Fourth and Inches, a Husky podcast, is a member of the Big Heads Media Network. For more information, go to bigheadsmedia.com. And go! Hi, Husky fans. Welcome back to Fourth and Inches, a Husky podcast. I'm Trevor. I'm Jake. And we are reunited, and it feels so good. (laughs) But who are we like? We are like Tucker and Chan. Tucker and Chan. Are you going to stump me episode one of season two? <laughs> Tucker and Chan. I... You got that mixed up. It's season two, episode one. Did I? Yeah. Regardless, I'm stumped right now. How about I'll give I... you two hints? Okay. Never touch a black man's radio. <laughs> oh. Okay, first of all, you gave me the actor's name. You should have given me the name of their characters. Okay, Lee, what are their name? What are their characters' names? It's it's Lee and uh I, I yeah, I'm stomping on the other. Yeah, I thought so. What's um, what's the other one? <laughs> Chris Tucker and, and Jackie Chan. I know, but what's Chris Tucker's name in it? Chris Tucker. Oh, okay. My bad. Yeah. It's gonna bother me until I figure it out. <laughs> the uh, the podcast is over. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> we made it. For episode one of season two, and we've fallen off the rails. Uh, uh, how long did we last? Like two minutes? Well, all the takes it took me to get the Big Heads Media podcast were <laughs> up to four minutes. Fair enough. Okay, let's get started. Dude, first time I've talked to you since the end of the Rose Bowl, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, first time. Yeah. I haven't talked haven't talked since. It's been a yeah. long off season. Yeah. Uh man, it's uh it's good to be back. It's good to be almost back to football season. What do you think? Yeah, man. Less than thirty days. I uh I, I can't believe how ready I am. This is the first time in a long time I've been ready for summer to be over. Uh, you know, as a teacher I'm not with you on that, but uh, <laughs> I can feel your I I empathize with your excitement. Well, not only is football season coming up, but I have a Vegas trip with my wife in October, so Hey. You know, I uh I'm ready for summer to be over. I'm ready for uh for fall, football, Vegas. And then and then it's on to Thanksgiving and Christmas and I gain about twenty five pounds during those seasons. <laughs> so it's it's all and good. Rumor has it. Rumor has it we might we might be heading uh, taking the show on the road, heading down to Palo Alto this year there in October as well. That's the rumor. It has yet to be uh, booked, but um, yeah. you know that's that. I'm not going to name names, Trevor. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm heading up to the island this weekend to get that worked out. So okay, well, we're, get it, we're going to be it, in good shape. Get, are we driving or flying? Dude, we're flying. Okay, good. I, I don't know if I can last in the car that long with your dad. I, like, Let's take the train. I was like, okay, it's only twenty hours. Yeah. Uh, stuck in a stuck in one station the whole time. <laughs> oh my god, Dad! You spy a tree. We get it. <laughs> it's literally been the same thing the entire time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, we got some really. Uh, exciting news for you guys. We are now part of the Big Heads Media Network. Um, Jake, what are your kind of your your first blush thoughts on on the network that we've decided to join? 
Man, it's exciting. Um, when we when we first started doing this, the ultimate goal, you know, long term for us was to get picked up by a media group. It for some weird reason, these guys liked our podcast and talked to us shortly after the first season was over. It was it was incredible how fast it all worked for us. You know, we were a little skeptical at first. Um, when we heard about them, you know, heard from them, we were a relatively new podcast and we weren't quite sure of how everything was going to happen. And after talking to the uh, media group, it just seemed like such a, a great fit for our podcasts with their media group, what their vision is, what our vision is as far as long-term goals for our podcast and their media group. You know, I, I, I couldn't be more excited than to share a podcast with them. You know, it, I think it brings out a lot of really great things. It brings a lot of options to the table as far as they're looking to expand their college football, the potential to talk to other podcasters from other college football fan bases is going to be huge. If we could get a guest appearance from another podcast on here every once in a while, I think it's going to bring a lot of, a lot of good conversations from people outside of the state of Washington. And this is really exciting. Yeah. And that's what a lot of the listener feedback that I got was some of their favorite episodes were the Oregon and the, uh, the, uh, the Rose bowl previews because we had experts uh, from their field in on the podcast, giving uh, their take from, from their point of view as uh, Ohio state and Oregon fans, but also they gave an outsider's view on, you know, what they were worried about and uh, what, what kept them up at night thinking of uh, the Washington uh, football team. So I think those two things, uh, you know, as it grows, the cool thing about it is we got in on the ground floor when it comes to outside of the Big Ten footprint. A little bit of a backstory on them is they were the previous media company was um, the Michigan Sports Network. So they had a lot of podcasts and college football podcasts of from that you know Notre Dame Michigan Michigan State those kind of teams and they're trying to you know kind of replicate what 247 and some of the other ones that have a network have done and you know we're really excited to be on the ground floor of it yeah it's super exciting you know we are the first west coast podcast that they have as far as college football and uh we plan on exploding with that and taking this podcast to a whole nother level yeah, absolutely. Uh, some other really cool stuff around the program is that we've officially become an Adidas school. We've uh, The Nike contract is over, and even today or yesterday, the women's soccer uniforms came out. Those looked cool, but let's focus on the football side of it. What are your thoughts on Adidas uh, coming into Montlake? I mean, I think it's the perfect time, really. You know, Nike... Nike wasn't paying us a whole lot of money, paying about three and a half million. Adidas is paying 12, you know, putting us in the top, uh, top 10 in college athletics and apparel. I love, as far as the jerseys go, I love what they did. They took it back to old school, you know, real basic. They put their flair on it with the three stripes on the, on the arms. But other than that, you know, they went back to the old school colors. You know, I wasn't a huge fan of the black sleeves and stuff like that. Keep her traditional. I love it. My favorite part about them is they aren't those new god-awful Michigan State jerseys. Did you <laughs> did you see those? 
Yeah. Those are an atrocity. I thought those might come out on like April Fools. Those that looked really. It bad. was. I I know at some point Adidas is going to try to get cute with husky jerseys and throw a little bit of flair in there. Please no neon green. It's yeah. it's horrible. We're not Oregon. We're, we're not Oregon. We don't need that. We'll be just fine. You know, keep... one thing that I've heard that that I, I agree with is, you know, kids kids like a change up in uniform. So I would suspect sometime, probably not this year because the uniforms are new anyways, yeah. but I could see a really cool black uniform coming out. And I would be all for a black uniform to come out. I, I, I love an all black uniform. It's sleek. It's especially at a night game. It's it it's really cool. They put some really cool little designs in the jersey itself on the numbering. They put little raindrops in it to you know to commemorate the purple rain. You know, they the, the three stripes, the purple stripes on the on the arms, and it's just a, a basic but really clean look and it, it they did they did good for the first jersey that they put out. Yeah, I totally agree. And on the fan side, some of the the coaches stuff that you know we all like to buy because it looks cool. And one of their one of their jackets, I got my eye on that's uh, looks really nice with the three stripes on one of the shoulders. It's it's just a really clean, sleek look. I think we we're all excited about the change. We wanted to get out from under Nike. Nike's you know the owner of Nike's a big Oregon guy. We all know Phil Knight, but going to Adidas was really exciting. I I like what Adidas has done in the last 10 years when it comes to some of the creation that they've done being creative, but also staying sleek with a lot of their looks. Um, I thought they, they got a little weird with some of the basketball uniforms. Yeah. Um, I can, you know, Baylor's kind of look a little funny, Yeah, but neon, neon green again. Yeah, exactly. I think if you get, if you convince them to stay away from neon, we're going to be in really good shape. It also sets up a great rivalry, right? This Northwest rivalry that there's a lot of bad blood between Oregon and Washington already. And now you throw it upon it. Washington is pretty much the flagship football Adidas school now. And, yep, definitely uh, on the West Oregon Coast. Being Oregon. Oh, definitely. I mean, the other school the other school I can think of that could be probably a flagship for them will be maybe Nebraska or, or uh, in the Midwest and uh, Miami on the, in the South. Yeah, but definitely. I mean, it just sets that. Uh, you know, Oregon, Washington, they're bordering each other. Now you have Adidas, Nike thrown on top of that. I think it's just a really cool extra line to go with a really great rivalry. Yeah, you know, and and as far as Nike goes, we were never going to be a flagship for them because of Oregon, because they're in the backyard, and Phil Knight is so associated with that program and how much he, he does for Oregon. So as long as we were under Nike's belt, we were never going to see the jerseys that Oregon has or the apparel or the funding. And with Adidas, Adidas wants to come into the West Coast and, and start cutting down on what Nike has out here. And for us to be you know, like you said, the flagship program for them is huge because Adidas will remember that and they will keep us in the loop at all times and, and well-funded and well-organized as far as 
apparel and cleats and and jerseys and and UW will always be loaded now. You know, and it's funny because you think of the uh, Nike and the University of Oregon. They're both the Nike World Headquarters are in in Newburgh, and what people don't realize is the U.S. headquarters for Adidas is in Portland as well. The world headquarters are in Germany. When you think of Nike, uh, it's, a, it's a worldwide brand, but it's also, it's got a lot of Northwest roots. And I think Adidas is learning the importance of finding those roots of where their U.S. headquarters are. Yeah. You look up and down uh, the, the coast and it's, I mean, this is, the West Coast is Nike's spot. I can't think of many adidas schools up and down the west coast uh, especially the big schools you know the only one that's defected would be ucla which is an under armor school yeah everybody else is nike but let's get into what people want to talk about and that's husky football huh? let's let's so as of today we're recording on tuesday night there's been five days of fall camp there's uh, do you want to call it a quarterback battle do you want to call it peterson gamesmanship whatever you want to say, uh, all reports say that Hayner's kind of a turnover machine and Jacob Eason has a rocket on his shoulder. I, if you would have asked me the same question three weeks ago, I would have said not a chance that this is a quarterback battle at all. But the more reports that I read about it, the more I see from the stat line of their fall camps, the more I really do believe it's an actual battle. Um, is it Easton's job to lose? Yes, I think it is. But do I actually think that there's a competition there? Yes, I absolutely think that there's competition there. And that's what Coach Pete wants. He wants people to have to compete for their spot. Because if he just had to – if Easton came in and he were just handed it, competition breeds hunger. You want your quarterback to want to, to win and to want to play as good as he can. Because if there's no competition and there's nobody pushing for your spot – what do you have to prove? Yeah, and you know when you started that um, little paragraph you just gave, I was going to say that I totally disagreed with you, but I guess I could ag- agree with you in the sense that I think that Peterson is making it clear that Eason has to win the job, but I think it's also clear that Eason will win the job. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Hayner has to really outperform Eason to take that spot from him, which he has, which not. he has not. I don't. I actually think Eason has outperformed him in fall camp as far as less turnovers. He's taken a couple of sacks, but uh, the interceptions aren't like they are with Hayner. And uh, the physical abilities are there versus Hayner is a little bit limited. And what I've heard about Hayner is that everybody loves his, his presence in the huddle. He is very commanding of the huddle. His team respects him. That's fine and dandy, but if you can't make the throws down the field, then it's not going to do you a lot of good. What was everybody's biggest gripe about Browning? He couldn't make the throws down the field, especially after he got the shoulder injury in his sophomore year. The, yeah, the end of the sophomore year. Yeah, it, it seemed like his velocity was down. His long ball wasn't there. Everybody kind of got tired of seeing that lack of an arm strength and not being able to fling a ball around, you know, having to, to throw the ball before the, you know, you want to throw the ball before the receiver's out of his break, but 
you want to do it with some velocity so that the cornerback can't get there in time to, to get a hand on it or, or intercept it. And Browning didn't have that. And I think that's a lot of Hayner's problem as well, is that he doesn't have – Hayner has a – Hayner definitely has a better arm than he has a better arm, but he doesn't have an Eason arm. He doesn't have the physical traits that Eason has. Yeah, and he's essentially he's in a quarterback battle with an NFL quarterback, and unfortunately for Hayner, unfortunately for the University of Washington, he's going to lose that battle. Yeah, you know, you heard it from Hugh Millen a year ago when Eason decided to transfer here. He drooled over Eason's physical attributes, the way that he could fling a ball 35 yards down the field with the flick of a wrist on a rope. You can't just ignore that. Yeah, and I mean, look at the film that he had. Uh, It's really interesting looking at the stats from the first half of his freshman year at Georgia and the second. He got better. Yeah. Uh, And and I think that that's what we're going to see. We're going to see a first-round quarterback under center uh, in Montlake for hopefully the next two years. You know, I, I know it was a limited supply for Hayner, but if you took out the North Dakota game, he went seven for seven in the North Dakota game, okay? If you yep. take that out and the rest of his pass attempts, he went two for six with negative three yards and in an interception, which lost us the cow game. Yeah, so, so I have no if, – if Jake Hayner is in the game in a, in a crucial situation – Anytime this year, we're going to be in trouble. Yeah, do you trust him in a crucial spot? That's that's what you have to ask. And if you have to ask it, you don't. No. Right? No. Uh, the, uh, the other interesting quarterback battles going on are the two younger guys, um, Jake Sermon and Dylan Morris. From what I've heard, Dylan Morris has looked really, really good. Yeah, all signs are pointing to him being the next Husky great. Um, you you could see it as soon as he walked on campus, Yankoff left. Yankoff wanted no part of it. And uh, he was behind Sermon. And then you see this young Dylan Morris come in, who's a true freshman, out here just throwing dimes down the field and and – into the end zone and making touchdowns instead of stalling out drives. Yankoff saw the writing on the wall and decided to skip town and go, go to UCLA. Um, Sermon had his name put into the transfer portal. And I think a lot of, for the same reason, but he got talked. I think his parents probably talked him into coming back because this is where they always wanted him to go. And this is well, where there was, he always there was wanted a conversation with coach Pete as well. I believe. Yeah. Yeah, and I think Sermon will get his chance. I just think that at the end of the day, Dylan Morris is going to be better. Dylan Morris you know, might and, might be the best quarterback we've had come into this program for, in the last 15 years, maybe 20. Uh, maybe. I mean, the thing about these guys is, you know, reporters love a backup quarterback, and, and I do too. Like, I love talking about the younger guys and things like that. The thing about Jake Sermon is – he came in highly touted. He's a big guy with a big arm. Yeah. Um, and just like Eason, just like, yeah, Eason was even high, you know, yeah. Five, two, five star guy. Yeah. But Thurman, Thurman was a four star elite 11 guy as was Dylan Morris. And so that room just keeps getting more and more talented. Uh, and the crazy thing is, is, you know, there's a kid coming in and is it 2021 and Sam Heward that is, one of the best yeah. quarterbacks 
he's the best quarterback in that class. Yeah. And there could be a very real possibility that if he's as good as advertised, Dylan Morris and, and Jake um, Sermon. Jake Sermon don't ever see the field. That's an absolute possibility. And you're 100 And I, I, you're right, because I totally forgot about Heward coming in the year after. And he is, like you said, number one quarterback in the nation. You know, he's supposed to be a big R. I mean, he, he's, he's Sam Heward. The best. I mean, yeah, he, he, he's, he's a Husky great. To be and, the best, uh, best quarterback recruit that Washington has ever pulled in yeah. as a recruit. Yeah. So I guess only time can tell, right? Right. We can't, we can't look into the future and tell you who's going to play and when they're going to play. I know that. I can't tell you that Jake Eason will play this year. I, yeah. I do know that Peterson doesn't love playing freshmen and younger kids. He, his hand was kind of forced with Browning. But if he has his way, he doesn't want to play freshmen and even sophomore, he likes playing those junior seniors that have had a chance to to sit and learn and and follow a leader in front of them. So if he has his way with Sam Heward, he'd hold him off until he was a sophomore or junior. But you got to give the kid two years, right? So you know the talking point for all coaches is we want to play juniors and seniors. And and another way to look at it though, and and I think this is how most coaches look at it, is when a kid comes in how many years are you going to get with that kid? So like a Hunter Bryant, yeah, we were able to redshirt him last year, but the reality is he played as a true freshman because the coaching staff knows they have him for three years and he's gone. Yeah. So, you know, and and then, you know, there's other situations where, you know, there's some guys that they've played that they, they were forced to have to play as true freshmen that would have really benefited for an extra year. Yeah. And so they're going to have the beauty of how much talent they've stacked is they're going to be able to make that decision. Is Sam Heward going to be a three-year starter and gone? Or can we redshirt him for a year and we have these two uh, older guys who are going to be able to compete and who've been in the program? And Peterson's going to say whatever Peterson's going to say, but I think that's the reality of the way he's going to look at it. And that's the way that they look at all positions. Yeah. And, and, and you kind of have to, I mean, it's college football. You're, you're limited as far as the amount of time you get with somebody that's going to stay the whole term versus somebody that is projected to be a first round quarterback that has all the talent in the world that, you know, won't be there for all, uh, you know, a red shirt plus four years. So he won't be there five years. There's no chance. Like Taylor Rapp. That's why Taylor Rapp played. Exactly. So Uh, the only one, the only uh, exception to that rule that I'm going to think of right off the top of my head is um, Byron Murphy. His talent screamed three years, but the talent in front of him was so good. And they were all second round picks that he only had two years of that eligibility because he had to write it. And good for Byron Murphy for sticking around too, because oh, a, I mean, a, a he lot of started for any other Pac-12 t- school. Yeah, a lot of kids aren't sticking around if they don't play their first or second year. So good for Byron Murphy to stick around. Um, another example is Trey Adams, where he is a big time left tackle. Uh, if you would have seen him play as a freshman, you would have thought he'd have been gone by after his junior year. 
but unfortunately he got bit by the uh, injury bug and uh, he got a, he got another season out of the deal and he's here for a fifth year now. Yeah, that's huge. You know, so, you know, um, unfortunately he did get bit by the, by the health bug, but we get to have him for a, a complete season this year and he's going to take full advantage of it. And yeah, because, and he'll it, walk out of here. He's going to walk out of here just fine because he's also going to be a first round pick. Yeah, and and because of that, because he stayed, our offensive line is looking better than it did last year. Yeah, let's move away from the quarterbacks and let's move into uh, my favorite room, and that is the defensive back rooms. Sure. So, I think that's I. I think that might be a lot of people's favorite room. I mean, with, uh, if you like defense, I mean, if you like talent and just constantly yeah. putting out NFL talent, then this is your room. Yeah. I mean, it's not going to end after last year. I'm here to tell you. Yeah. This room, this room just reloads. I mean, second round picked after second round picked after second round pick. And, uh, you know, one of the really cool things that I'm just going to tease a little bit, spoiler alert here, Jordan Miller is doing very, very well in Atlanta. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you heard about that. He's a fifth round pick, but he's he's been uh, Atlanta Twitter has been all about Jordan Miller. I heard he's competing for that that corner two spot. Yeah, big time. Yeah. So let's move back into what we got here left. Uh, you know the next two greats. Uh, well, okay, three greats. We got Keith Taylor, Elijah Molden, and Miles Bryant. My assumption is Miles Bryant is probably going to move into that free safety role and yeah. look sort of yeah. like an Earl Thomas. Yes. Or a which is, which is too bad because he, that kid impressed the heck out of me last year. His nickel coverage was stupid good. His tackling, he, he, he didn't miss hardly any tackles. But if you look at it, like you said, Elijah Molden, He's the prototypical slot corner, and they need to get him on the field. So what do you do with Miles Bryant? I don't see it as a sad thing at all. Miles Bryant is the most uh, – how do I say this? He's the most talented pound-for-pound pound cornerback that they have. Yeah. Well, um, he's a fair tackler. He's, a, he's really good in coverage. He gets exposed outside because he's small. But he's so good, so smart, and so athletic that they're able to put the best five defensive backs on the field. And that means moving him off of that nickel to put him at the free safety spot. That just shows how great of an athlete he is. It's, it's kind of an embarrassment of riches, right? You have two guys that have to be on the field. And so yeah. you're, you're going to put a young guy in Elijah Molden at a, at a slot corner, and you're going to move Miles Bryant into a safety role where you know that he can handle that. And like you said, kind of being Earl Thomas because he is a good tackler and because yep. he can read the defense really, really well. So why wouldn't you put him there? You, like yep. you said, you want all of your best defensive players on the field. And so if you, can, if you can move him into a safety role and he can excel, you're going to do it. Yeah, and then that gives you room to put Kyler Gordon in that starting lineup, just an athletic freak out of Archbishop Murphy. Yeah, I think the one that's going to be drafted the highest out of all of them has got to be Keith Taylor. Absolutely, uh-huh. dude is a freak. <laughs> he's he's the next shutdown corner, right? I mean, people are going to have he's got the he's got the ball skills of 
uh, Byron Murphy, and he's got the length of uh, a Kevin, Kevin King. King. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he, he's if you look at him, he looks like a corner. Like oh, he, man. he is. A, if I was going to build my my corner body, it'd be Keith Taylor. He's, you know, it's so funny because he came in and he got some playing time against Rutgers in 2017, and uh, they threw a fade route his way, and he tripped over his own feet, fell down. The guy made the catch, and my buddy who I was watching the game with was like, I hate Keith Taylor. And I was like, dude, he, he's a puppy. He doesn't know how to run in his gigantic feet yet. <laughs> yeah. He grew up. Yeah, he is, like you he could be better than Byron. He has he's the bigger. body to, yeah, and he's, he's just as fast. He's, like you said, he's got the ball skills. He can catch. It's putting it all together and being that number. You have to be put into that position to know if you can succeed or not. And he hasn't been put in that position to have to be the lockdown guy yet. He hasn't had to go up against the ones on a consistent basis. So can he do that? We'll find out this year. Yeah, and he split a lot of time with Jordan Miller last year when Jordan Miller was dealing with some injuries. Um, so he's played a little bit, but I mean, this is his time to be the number one. And the reality is for him, he's a junior. Uh, he has himself a good year. He's going to go get himself paid. Yes. You know, so. you know, who's also really shined during fall camp and who might get to see a little bit of early playing time. Uh, is it a safety or a corner? It's a corner. Uh, you tell me Cam Davis, you know? Yeah. Cam Davis has come in. And has learned the entire defense already and has been doing nothing but succeeding. And as a true freshman, now he's got a lot of guys in front of him. It's going to be tough for him to come in, but he'll get some minutes, especially with the new red shirt rule where you can play here and there. And, oh, and, yeah. And, but he's going to see the field. The guy's too talented yeah. not to. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And then on the other, you know, the, the safety spot, um, you know, the first two guys that are going to get shots, they'll probably starters day one are going to be, you know, Isaiah Kilcrest or, or Brandon McKinney. But my, my prediction is once the bullets start flying in conference play, you're going to see a lot more of, I've heard really good things about Cameron Williams and yeah. then Julius Irvin as well. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've I've heard the same thing. I've heard Cam Williams is picking up the defense really quick, just like Cam Davis. Um, you know, he was a three-star guy, but everybody was in love with him. And uh, he's he came. I think he came in in the in the spring, and he's just been um, everything that I would love to see Julius Irvin getting some time this year too, as well. I think that kid's. Well, got he's a lot already. Of, it uh, looks like he's already the uh, starter. He's definitely going to be on special teams. He's been in all the special teams kit coverage, um, and I suspect he's going to be on the field as well. You're going to see him throughout the game, pretty much in every game. But I'm excited to see him in in an expanded role where we get to see him on right. defense making some plays because he was a pretty highly touted. He was recruit. a huge get. Yeah. Yeah. And we, so, we took him from Notre Dame, I think. Yes. Yep. And so, so I'm excited to deal. see. Yeah. I'm excited to see what he, him and, uh, him and Asa Turner, we got both of them out of Notre Dame. And, uh, yeah. 
they're 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 both safeties, and Notre Dame is salty about both. So <laughs> uh, yeah. I couldn't I couldn't be any happier about that. Yeah, I'm I'm totally with you on that. Um, I think it's going to be really hard for Gilchrist and Gilchrist and McKinney to keep their positions. Yeah, I think I think McKinney's probably going to be the first one to lose some th- some valuable time, yeah. but uh, it's going to be tough, man. Young guys got to come in and they got to prove it. And the hard part about being a young guy and getting limited reputation, you think you need to come in and you need to make, you need to make a splash play immediately, and that's when you get exposed. When you yeah, think that you need, you know, when you think that you need to come in and you need to make a big play, and and you end up not staying in your lane, and that's when you get burned over the top. That's when you get benched. So yeah. so for a young kid to come in, you need you know cooler heads prevail. You need to stay what to do what you need to do, and you need to trust your your judgment, and you need to trust your ball skills. And you know, we'll see what young guys can do that back there this year because they're all going to get a chance. Cam Davis, Cam uh, Cam Williams, Julius Irvin, I think they're all going to get their chances this year. I agree, and it is you know. Washington stays away from the big plays they make you if you're going to score on Washington's defense you're going to have to execute a lot of plays going down the field and if there's a guy who is what you're saying which what young guys like to do is try to do it all um, they won't see the field yeah and that, and that's the thing about coach Pete too is is he, he is very stay in your lane just do your job and that's why you saw a lot of Instead of Azeem Victor a couple of years back, because even though Azeem Victor was the better of the two athletes, Ben Burkirvan stayed in his lane and always did his job. And that's what Coach Pete loved about him is he was always there when he needed to be always in the exact right place at the right time. And and you're absolutely right. Watching, especially Azeem has senior year, his gap discipline was um probably the worst uh, I've seen and maybe part of it was the injury he wasn't as quick to the quick to the spots BBK man he he was always where he had to be uh, and and you know that's going to be a real chore for them to figure out who that next tackling machine the one who the defense is geared to have make a a bulk of the tackles who will that guy be yeah that's <sighs> And that's where I'm struggling with this defense, too. Yeah, yeah, you had to have DJ Beavers medically retired. That one hurt because you saw him as a freshman in the Apple Cup ball out. Mm-hmm. So you're sitting there thinking, this kid's going to be something special. And then he gets hurt, and then he gets hurt again. Next thing you know, he's medically retiring. So that leaves you, Brandon Wellington, not sold. Yep. Tyler Manu, Jackson Sermon. Yeah, that then and then you start because of the losses of Ali Cahoe and uh, uh, that uh, Camilla Eifler. Um, there's really some some potential holes there. Yeah, you know i I could see Kyler Manu getting. I mean, he's a senior, so but it, obviously he hasn't shown it because. 
and he plays more of that Tevis Bartlett role as well. Um, those two will probably the, be the game two starters yeah. or game one starters. Um, you know, that's when, you know, uh, the sermon has looked good. Um, but you could also see, you know, Calvert and Haimuli getting early reps. And that's the thing too, is I, I don't, I don't see Jackson sermon being ready. He's not, I don't. I don't think his body has matured the way that they wanted it to. You, you got Calvert, who's coming in at high school, who's already got the, the the college linebacker body, who played high school quarterback, who knows the game of football, who has already learned the the game of uh, the 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 defense at UW. I I I, I think you see more of a him, a Calvert than a Jackson Sermon playing more times this year. Who I'd like to see is Haimuli, but I just don't think he's had enough time in the system yet. Well, I mean, he like feels like he just got here, right? Yeah. Well, you just did. Yeah. Yeah, and maybe that's the case. I mean, I, I'm looking at his his measurables here, and Jackson Sermon six two two twenty nine. Um, that's not small. That's right around where BBK played. Yeah. I don't. I, if you're looking at a prestigious football school, you want linebackers in the 235 range. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I see that more out of, like I said, I see more of a Calvert playing this year just because, to me, it seems like he's more readily, you know, he's just, he's more ready. But I, that's up to Coach Pete. I don't know. You know, and it's the the tough part is it's such an important spot, right? Yeah, the especially on this defense, funnels runners. Yeah. To, exactly, that defense is designed to funnel runners to that inside linebacker. Um, ben Burkhurvin is a really good football player, and I'll be the first to say I was wrong about him at the beginning of the year. I kind of uh, trashed him, isn't the right word, but kind of thought of him as more of like a Mister Hustle, like a great Boise State player. And I was wrong. He's a great husky. You, you um, and I both. Yeah, and we 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 both ate crow on that one because that that he had an amazing season. Yeah. Um. He looked fast. He tackled. He. There were still times where I thought he was being pushed backwards instead of pushing. Yeah. But that being said, um, that defense was designed for him to make plays, and he made plays all game long. You know, and the what the coaches have to do now is they have to find those guys who can be reliable to stay in their lane, be patient, and then go get the ball carrier. You know, out of all of the positions that we have and will talk about tonight, this is the most unsettling one to me. I I agree. There's not there's not a position on this team that I'm thinking, oh boy. I just don't know until you look at the linebacker core. We just don't know what we have. There's a lot of... I think of, if Brandon Wellington stays healthy, we're in good shape. Yeah, I, I agree. It's just a lot of unknown. You know, a lot of... You see a lot of uh, so-called experts um, for college football talking about how we lost so much cornerback depth, and we did. But what they don't know is that we have studs like 
Keith Taylor and Elijah Molden and a lot of these other guys ready to go. We keep reloading. I don't know is what we have in our linebacking core because we haven't seen them like we've seen those young cornerbacks that have succeeded. So to me, on this whole Husky team, this is the great unknown. And that's that, you know, part of that is, is recruiting there has been, uh, has not been where it needs to be um, when it comes to keeping those guys in house. Yeah. Camille Eifler would be a junior or senior this year and he would have been a stud. That kid was so athletic, but you know what? We couldn't keep him in the system. And if that, is because he wasn't getting the playing time he thought he deserved, you know, whatever. Then losing Ali Keho to some shady circumstances, like that sucks. But the reality is you have to be recruiting more players if that's the case. Yeah. Um, Well, I mean, if you're looking at a national championship team and they come out and they're listing off the starters, I don't think Kyler Manu would be a starter on a national championship team. I agree. Um, And I would agree with your – we haven't recruited well as far as linebackers the last couple of years until this last recruiting trip. I think – Totally agree. I think the two that we – well, we got more than two, but I think specifically the two in Calvert and Haimuli, I think in two or three years are going to pay off big time. And and oh, not they're gonna, and, they're and, gonna be a better version of Azim and yeah, in uh, Bieria, uh, Tishan, yeah, yeah, and and I agree, but not even just as far as that, but as far as bringing other talents to the UW, you know, if you get two uh, badass linebackers that are gonna sit there and say, "Hey, man, you're next, come on," you know, and and and, and they'll bring other middle linebackers in with them later. I think those two are going to pay off big time for this defense, but we're going to have to wait for that. And where this team is right now, this team's ready to win right now with the talent that they have. It's just the lack of linebacking is tough for this defense because, like you said, everything funnels to those middle linebackers. And when we don't have them, it's, it's, a, little, it's a little nerve-wracking, really. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Uh, let's uh... – Let's hope that that Brandon Wellington stays healthy because I, I think a lot of this conversation is null and void if he is what he's supposed to be. Totally agree. Yeah. Now a spot where it, it's 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 kind of hard to put my finger on because I think it's really talented. Hang on, hang on, hang on. One second okay. before we move on. I just I want to touch the outside linebacker real quick. That's fine. And. We only touched middle linebackers, and before before we move on, I know Anmu Zarike isn't considered an outside linebacker, but I think he plays kind of a stand-up D-tackle, D-end, um, which plays a lot like a linebacker. I think he's poised to make a big step in his in his playing. Um, he's going to be He'll a good be all ru- conference this year. He's going to be a great run stuffer, but. As far as a position battle goes, I don't think there's a better position battle on this team other than Joe Tryon and Ryan Bowman. And I think I think that those two, with how different they are, I think it's going to be a fantastic battle. 
because I think you're going to see a lot of Ryan Bowman in the early part of the game playing the run. But once the UW gets ahead in the game, that's when you're going to see a lot of Joe Tryon wreaking havoc in the backfield. So I, I'm, I'm with you on that. Um, I think Joe Tryon is going to show that he's also a top three round pick this year. Um, he's huge. Um, yeah, Joe you gained Tryon a lot. Was listed at six five two sixty six. Yeah, I think he gained like fifteen pounds this year. Yeah, so he's definitely going to see the field. Um, I could see, you know, that buck position. I could see Orion Bowman moving into that in passing downs. Yeah. But also, Aaron Legata is a freak of an athlete. Yeah. So I think you have three really viable pass rush options, especially now that we've they've decided to move uh, Potoai inside, which I think is going to be a net positive for everybody. Yeah. Because again, it gets more athletes onto the field. Yeah, absolutely. And and another kid that you're going to see uh, in the backfield a lot this year, who is a true freshman, is Latu. In fall camp, yeah. that that dude has been in the backfield more than the quarterback. <laughs> I mean, he's. I, seems, I can dig it. It seems like he's there every play. He he has had more sacks in fall camp than anybody on the team. Yeah. So I, I think for the first time in a couple of years, in what two or three years, we're gonna have some real quarterback pressure. Some real, I, I totally agree with you. Outside rudge, you know, uh, edge rushing guys. Yeah, and the beauty is, is there's enough of them now where we're going to be able to keep uh, rotation guys in, and ro- yeah. yeah, we're going to get a really, really good rotation. Yep. Um, so, are you ready for the the wide receiver room? Absolutely. This is my favorite. You so love the corners. Kind of, I love the receivers. The receivers are like on paper, they just look like talents, but. And, you know, some of it's the passing game in in the past with some of Browning's uh, shortcomings. But, you know, Ty Jones didn't impress me last year. Um, Aaron Fuller, I think, was the best receiver on the roster. Uh, Andre Bocelli is a college receiver. I'm not in love with those guys, but I don't know if the younger guys – have enough to unseat those guys or take their positions during the year. You know, and I think that's, I think that's why you, I think that's why you have the tension towards that room that you have is because we didn't see the young guys last year, right? We didn't see the spikers or the Osborne's um, or the Trey Lowe's. I think that all three of those guys are going to make an impact this year. Ty Jones during fall camp is finally looking like a big body receiver. You know, that was kind of, that was kind of the gripe about him last year, right? He's, he's six, four, he's big, he's athletic, but he, he couldn't go up and make the catch in fall camp this year. He's jumping above the corners and he's got guys draped on him and he's still out there making the catch. Can he do that during the offseason? I hope so, because if he can, that's going to go big, big way with a guy like Eason throwing to you. Um, I think as far as the younger guys, you're going to see a lot more of the Spiker, Osborne, Lowe's, 
who I think is going to get lost in all of this is who you just said was the college receiver. Pacelli, I think, is going to get lost in the fold because there's so much depth waiting behind him that these, guys, these young kids are going to come out here and make plays, and Pacelli's just going to be sitting on the sideline like, oh, I can't do that. And, you know, uh, I don't think Trey Lowe's going to see the field either. Um, uh, Chico has come back and has had a great camp. Yeah, Chico's been playing lights out. Yeah, uh, and then the other guy that I think is going to push some of those other guys back, I, I think that he's going to force his way onto the field is Puka Nakua. I, 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 I agree to a point because I think Puka has the intangibles. He's got the athleticism. He's got really good hands. But at points, he still looks like a freshman. You know, he, he's, he's not running uh, precise routes. You know, he's not doing the little things that, you know, on a stop route, you need to put your head down to make your body go down. He's not doing the things like that. Now, he's going to get taught that. But is he going to learn that quick enough to push out the Bacellis and and a couple the other Quentin, guys? Quentin Pounds has always been a, a deep threat that, you know, when healthy has been pretty good. Yeah, I just, you know, I, I just don't – it's tough to see pounds go down as much as he has, because like you said, I've really liked the way that he's played when he has played. I just, he's a really good dude too. Yeah. It just, as far as this team with the receivers, man, the depth of young guys that we have, like you said, with the Pukas, I even think I I disagree with you on Trey low, because I do think he's going to see the field because I think he's good enough to see the field. They're gonna. That's a lot of this. That's a lot of small guys, dude. Man, this this receiver core, you're gonna have one consistent starter all year, and that's Aaron Fuller, because he is the most consistent out of all of the receivers. Correct. Yeah. He played the most consistent last year. He he. If he grows even a little bit this year, he's going to stay the most consistent receiver that we have. And other than that, I think you have a rotation of five guys that you're just going to see constantly coming in and off the field at all times, depending on the package that they want to run. Do they want to run small and quick? Then you run Chico and Trey low. Do you want to run tall in the red zone? Then you put out Ty Jones and Spiker, you know, and 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 not to be mis- not even to forget about Hunter Bryant, who's probably the best receiver out of all of them. Oh yeah, you know. So if you want to go big, throwing Hunter Bryant and Ty Jones and Spiker, and it just depends on the package that those guys want to throw out there. I think you're just going to see a revolving door at receiver all game long. You know, and i i wonder I wonder about that because I like. I like throwing guys fresh in there, but I also really like having your your set guys be able to get in the rhythm and a flow of a game. And with that many bodies coming in and out, I just don't know. But I don't think you can bring a Puka Nakoa in with how highly touted he was and redshirt him when you're telling all of these other high-profile receiving recruits, come here, we love you you're going to sit. 
that's not what receivers want to hear. No, no, receivers want – I mean, just like anybody, everybody wants to play. But you have to also look at the people in front of you. Yeah, is, that's is, true. Is Puka better right now than Spiker, Osborne, Lowe, Fuller? I can't answer that. Yeah, I, I'm you know, probably not. probably not Fuller. Definitely not Fuller. I mean, yeah. I, I'd say probably no on Ty Jones and, and Spiker as well. Yeah. You know, I – what Puka Nakua, yeah, he was he was a highly taught-after taught respect or uh, recruit, but so was Spiker and, and Osborne and Lowe and Ty Jones. They were all four-star guys. Yeah. You know, so you can't come in here and say, ah, oh, I'm the big guy on – you know, all of them were. Yeah, that's a good point. So, I, and you have to play the guys that are ready to play now. I get that. Um, and even when I was saying it, the coach inside of me cringed because um, you know that's not the way that I would run my program. I would put the best guys out. Yeah. Um, at all times. Yeah. Um, but as a recruiting standpoint, you know, one of the things that that was rumored was uh, Joe Nagata. Uh, put us off our list when uh, whoever was recruiting him told him he can come compete with Ty Jones and Aaron Fuller. And, you know, that guy's a bona fide five-star should start as a freshman and be out of the, be out of college football in three years. Sure. But then we're also reeling in guys like Jalen McMillan. That's a great point. So, and he's like the best receiver on the West coast. So that was a great segue. Thank you for that. (laughs) Jalen McMillan. Um, not only is a huge get for this Washington offense, um, you know, he's ranked, uh, his, he's got a 97, uh, star rating. He's, he's a really high four star. Uh, not only that, but he's recruiting his tail off to get more guys. He started the movement of the, uh, Cali rain movement where he's, he's hashtagging all of these recruits, trying to entice them to come to Washington to start the Cali reign, and uh, I'm loving it. Yeah, I think he's done a fantastic job. Um, yeah, what a great talent. 6'2", 181, going into his senior year. He has literally um, – he has, on Instagram, gone after um, – Everyone. He's gone after uh, small, uh, 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 smalls. Yeah. Yep. Literally once a week since he committed here. Yeah. And look oh, who's yeah. look who's in Smalls top four now. Oh, we we're back in, right? Yeah, exactly. So yep. it's obviously paying a little bit of dividends. Uh, when Small said that he wasn't going to consider us, and then all of a sudden we're back in his top four. So. You know, things things are looking up. He's gotten, you know, he's tagged a bunch of people in his in his Instagram posts literally every week. You know, he's got guys looking at us that a year ago weren't even on a radar. So, well, speaking of Savelle Smalls, Jordan Miller's mom also has been recruiting him. Yeah, I saw that. Did it, you see that picture? Yeah, where were they? I don't know. It was awesome. Um I'm assuming down somewhere in the south because Savelle was – he went to Florida and Florida State and 
somewhere else down in the south. So I'm assuming that, you know, he he met up with her somewhere around Atlanta. Yeah, that's killer. So, yeah, anyhow, let's talk about the guys that are, are here right now. Jalen McMillan, of course, is the headliner. Um, we also got a huge offensive line get, Miles Morano out of Mater Day, which is basically a USC pipeline. Man. Uh, and he's, he's the best out of there, and we got him. Yeah, I mean, you hit it on the head. He is that, – that school is a USC feeder of talent. Everybody goes to USC. Everybody for Matter Day goes to USC. So for him to commit to us is a huge shot at USC. And that might be the straw that breaks the camel's back as far as uh, Todd Helton getting the axe. Because if you can't recruit a school – that constantly Clay. pushes Clay. Out. Yeah, sorry. Todd football baseball player. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did you know Todd Helton played football for the University of Tennessee? I did. Did you know who he backed up? Uh Peyton Manning. Yeah, correct. Actually, Peyton Manning backed him up. Peyton Manning was the third during his freshman year, but Todd Helton's future was in baseball, so they pushed Peyton Manning ahead of him. Well. <laughs> if you didn't know, now you know. <laughs> didn't Todd Helton get like some weird gift uh, from Colorado, like a, like a horse or something for retirement or something. I thought that was like uh Carl Malone. That sounds about right. Yeah. Um, Sorry. Anyhow, Clay Helton. Clay. Yeah. That Clay Helton might be gone because if you can't pull somebody from matter day, which has just fed you talent for 30 years, you're messing up. Well, you know, and this is a little bit of a preview to our um, our North preview, but, you know, that Washington SC game could be the last one in Clay Helton's tenure. <laughs> I sure hope not. Yeah. <laughs> um, Me too. Another, another big time get, man. We got the best. Now, think about this. Think about this. On the West Coast, we got – the best wide receiver in McMillan. We got the best quarterback in Sam Heward. And then we got the best running back in Sam Adams. Sam Adams. Yes. That's, that's a huge get. That's a huge. I, when Because his dad tweeted saying that, hey, everybody, all you UW fans that are sure that Sam Adams is coming, hold your breath. Because I don't know. And then I pooped a little when I read that. Huh. And then, uh, like two weeks later, Sam Adams commits, and I, I finally took a breath. My face was now, bluer than blue until I'll that point. You, Sam Adams, I'm that that whole you know the whole recruitment videos. Like, I think it's you know it, it's sort of cheesy, but at the same time, like you only get to when you're a high profile athlete like that, you only get to commit once, unless you know you decommit all the time. Yeah. But I got to tell you, I loved his. His was cool, man. It had like all of his family members <laughs> who played in the NFL. And then he was, it would just go to shots of, of great running backs that have come through Washington in the last few decades, um, which I, I even, I, I posted something on Twitter like, you know, this is a really good recruitment. You know, this is a really good commitment video. You know, you, yeah. you're, you're giving 
you're showing that you know what you're talking about when you you've done your homework on these universities and you chose the one that has produced some amazing running backs. Absolutely. I, his, I think that was to date my favorite recruitment video that I've seen. Yeah. We also recently, well, I was going to say, we also got Roger Ro- uh, Rosengarten, uh, a big offensive tackle, six seven two seventy five. Uh, out of Ferndale. And, uh, no, that was Valor Chris. No, that, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm thinking about it. Yeah, Hatchet. Yeah, Gary and Hackett from Ferndale, 6'5", 275. Yeah, he's a big boy. Um, I mean, these these guys are huge. I mean, and three of the top five guys that I just listed, they're all offensive linemen. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. And then you move down uh, a little bit. Uh, also, you got Ethan Garbers, who's been doing a really good job of um, – he's an Elite 11 guy. He's also been doing a ton of recruiting. Yep. Um, you know, I <laughs> I always hope that the best quarterback gets on the field. Um, so if Ethan Garbers ends up uh, being the Husky starter at any point in his career, that means he's doing really well. Yeah, Absolutely. Because he is walking into a loaded room. And people get really mixed up in the star rating. And if people can play, they can play. Yeah. You know, and, and even speaking of that, we got a commitment from a kid from Texas, a linebacker, Cooper McDonald. He's a three-star linebacker. But I've watched a ton of tape on this kid. This kid, he one, he lays the wood. He, they're really excited about him too. Man, he hits hard. But this kid plays everywhere. He played outside. He played inside. He played D end. He played D tackle. But after watching his tape, when you watch him play outside linebacker, I watched him. There was a sweep going right, and he was playing on the left. And he ran past the middle linebacker in between traffic and made the tackle in the backfield. The kid has vision. Like, I, he, he, when I watched the tape, watching his vision reminded me so much of Ben Burke Irvin. It was insane. I can't you know, wait to see what he does when he gets when, – when Coach Pete gets his hands on him. Well, and his measurables already, he's 6'3", 220 in high school. Yeah. And, and a kid like Cooper McDonald who's going to come in, uh, Haimuli and um, – Calvert. Who's the – Calvert – are going to be sophomores. He's going to have two years in the Soha um, weight room. Yeah. So, I mean, what is he going to be? He's going to be 6'3", 240? Yeah, perfect. Uh, holy cow. Perfect. And, and that, that's an NFL linebacker. Yeah, and, and they say that they want to put him at inside. But and, – and it kind of depends on what they what their plans are with – Calvert and Haimuli, they might move Haimuli to the outside yeah, and, and put Calvert and McDonald on the inside because just the vision itself in Calvert and McDonald just seems to me like that, those two are prime inside linebackers. Um, yeah. Haimuli is quick. He's quick twitch, hard hitter, perfect outside linebacker. But he wants to play inside, yep. so I, it, and it depends on what the coaching staff wants to do with them. Yep, uh, and then to round it out, we have uh, Mark Redmond, 
uh, tight end, six six two fifty. He's been committed for a while. That kid is true to the purple. Yeah, he's doing a lot of recruiting. Guard Memelar from Idaho, six four two ninety, and then a, a kid from down from where I'm from, Sawyer Racanelli. Uh, he's from Hawkinson, which is a two-way school down here. Um, he tore his ACL, so he's not going to be able to play his senior year, but he'll be good to go for Washington his freshman year. Um, JV on Sunday from Texas, a running back. Carson Bruner, name should sound a little familiar Mark. to people. Yeah. Uh, and then one that I'm I'm pretty stoked on is James Smith from St. John's Bosco. Uh, he's six one one eighty corner. Uh, when you say six one one eighty, that gets me excited. Uh, and um, Jimmy Lake doesn't recruit guys that he doesn't think he can put in the NFL. So, whatever cornerback yeah. comes up here, I'm gonna love him. That is the best quote of the night. <laughs> Jimmy Lake doesn't recruit people that he doesn't think he can put in the NFL. Yeah, that is such good news. From I mean we are just peddling talent out of that secondary. Oh yeah. You know, a guy that we haven't even spoke about that much who was a huge get for this program was Trent McDuffie. And he's probably going to have to redshirt. Yeah. I think he's going to, we then have uh, Mason West, another six, four, two forty tight end. And then the one who, uh, you know, it's, he's a punter. He's a two star, but this guy named his name's Tristan Brown. He's the number one Juco punter. And, you know, I, I don't – punters are very, very important. Um, but one thing about him is, is there's a video. Of when he chooses a school, he punts a ball. And when it – as soon as it leaves his foot, he's at some punting clinic. All of the coaches and the players go, whoa. <laughs> Which tells you that this guy is – when it in the punting world, the way that it comes off of his foot is different, and that should make Husky fans excited. <laughs> a, you just spent way too much time talking about a punting recruit, and B, you just told everybody that's a Husky fan to be excited about a punter. Look, here's the deal. <laughs> no, now you're going to defend it. Yep. <laughs> God. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, your quarterback, what, uh, if you were to rank the quarterbacks in the, in the, in the pack 12, let's just go conference. What number do you want your quarterback to be? You, oh my, Trev, what answer the question? One running back. Why? I'm asking you a question. One. Do you want your running back to one, be the best in the conference? Sure. Offensive lineman. One. One. You want your punter to be the best in the conference. Thank you. Who's one of the most impactful players on Utah's Their punter. You saw it Thank in the you. Pac-12 championship game. He reversed the field so many times against us. And how many times did it take our offense way farther back than it should have been? I totally understand. That's great. Uh, <laughs> if if your team does its job on offense, you don't need the best punter in the conference. Why did Utah have to rely on their best punter? Because their offense because couldn't. Said, because their offense couldn't move the ball. 
because they got three first downs by the end of the third quarter. That's why the you notice so much of the punter because he literally saw the field every four downs when Utah had the ball. That's why. It's but like, having it's that not be- weapon available is worth talking about. Tristan Brown, I know you're listening. I love you. Jake hates you. That's not. That's not what I mean. And you don't. No, you hate putting, him. <laughs> what I'm saying is, is if Utah would have scored field goals instead of getting stalled out every four downs, would you have noticed their punter? Well, if they would have done that, they would have probably won the game. Okay, fair enough. So I just did, like to have but, the best one. But available. but but okay, here you go, Trev. But you notice how good their punter was. Did they win the game? No. Gotcha. Ho- no, hold on. <laughs> hold on. No, I just I just who was who was one of the pro bowlers who made a huge impact uh with the Seahawks this year? Stop justifying a punter. I'm going to justify him I, because I like him even though you don't. I don't I honestly don't oh uh yeah. The kid from Texas. Yeah. Yeah, and people laughed at us when we drafted him in the fourth round. Exactly. I'm not saying that we don't need a good punter. I'm saying that you spent way too long, and we have spent (laughs) way too long arguing about punters. (laughs) This has literally just wasted so many listeners, like, five minutes of their life. I'm sorry, listeners. So for 2019, though, who do you want to see? Do you want to see Joel Whitford or Race Porter? Well, I want to see uh, I want to see uh, Joel Whitford. All right. Do you not? Yeah, I'm just trying to get you to debate more punters. I hate you. Thank you for I've not ending the polls. podcast on a punter. You're welcome. <laughs> okay. I've seen polls that have shown Washington anywhere from like eight or nine to like seventeen is the lowest I saw. Okay. Um, I've seen. Washington in polls as the number one team in the Pac-12. I've seen them as the number three team in the Pac-12. Let's let's stick with the Pac-12 media poll and uh, Phil Steele. So the Pac-12 media poll, uh, Oregon edged out Washington for the uh, for the the, for the winner of the North by one vote. Um, and they have Oregon going on to lose to Utah in the Pac-12 championship. Um, Phil Steele, his numbers, he, he writes in his, in his thing that the numbers show Washington edging out Oregon for the number one spot, but he decided to put Oregon number one. Uh, what, are your, what are your kind of your thoughts? I know this is kind of a trivial thing because it's preseason polls and Chris Peterson doesn't believe in the polls until like week 10. But we're fans, so we can do whatever we want. What are your thoughts on those polls? You want my honest opinion? Yes. I think Phil Steele is an idiot. I, I do. And oh, I, man. I, I just wasted $15. I think Phil Steele is an idiot. I listened to him on Softy, and he sat there and bashed Eason and said, Eason, Eason couldn't even beat out. And that's why he picked Oregon and Utah ahead of us is because of Jacob Eason and our lack of quarterback. Eason couldn't even beat out Jake Fromm at Georgia. So, 
and he's if Rom's a five star quarterback. And he's also losing. He 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 says he's losing to Hayner, but he's going to beat out Hayner. Huh. But he says because of the lack of quarterback talent that we are going to struggle. So you just answered my argument against that is Jake Fromm was a five-star talent quarterback and he led Georgia to the national championship and should have beat Alabama. If it wasn't for poor coaching and taking the foot off the the pedal, Georgia would have walked away with that game and Jake Fromm would have been one of the best quarterbacks in, in Georgia history. And they did, they they did it two years ago. Yeah, I know, but he got hurt. And Fromm never gave the job back. And that's exactly. Fine. But Fromm, Fromm, as we all know, is a f- and, and, and the kid that just committed to Georgia is going to lose out to, to Fromm, too. And he's the number one ranked uh, quarterback in the nation. So yep. Fromm keeps beating out all these guys. So you can't say that Easton's a bad quarterback. You have to say that Easton got beat out by probably one of the best three quarterbacks in the nation. I would say the best, but the dude from Clemson is balling. So oh, Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. So, yeah. so y- the reason that UW is going to lose to Oregon and Utah preseason is because Easton's not a top two or three quarterback in the nation. So, okay. So what if he's the fourth best quarterback in the nation and our loaded defense and our loaded offense has the fourth or fifth best quarterback in the nation? Oh, I'll take that all day long against Justin Herbert, who apparently is a number one overall pick, which I I don't understand how because he has not performed consistently in college to justify a number one overall pick. So, so when I was listening to Feel Still, I I couldn't fathom why he picked. Utah has no quarterback, zero. They don't even have a quarterback. What do you Tyler mean? Tyler Huntley is a good. Tyler Huntley. Utah doesn't even have a quarterback, like I just said. You're wrong. Um, and Oregon's quarterbacks more inconsistent than any quarterback in not any quarterback in the Pac-12, but as far as an elite quarterback goes, he is super inconsistent. So he's Jake. He's Jake Locker 2.0 in my opinion. Without the athleticism. Yeah. So, just the hype around. I, I, what I mean is just the, the hype he, around sure. him, the hype around the program because of him. He's gonna get. He's gonna get drafted high just because of his body and his ability to throw a football. Yeah. It's not because of what he's done in college. If you were basing drafting off of what you've done in college, nobody would even look at Browning. Would have gone way before Herbert. Right. You know. So, I just uh, – when I heard that out of Phil Steele's mouth, I just – all credibility went out the window. That's why you're ranking us there. The two to- – or I guess two out of the last three-year Pac-12 champions, you, you're going to give them zero credit. And, and his, other, his other remark was they lost all their secondary. Well, if you're, if you're a, a Pac-12 analyst – you should know that they've reloaded every year for the last four years, and they have just. As Are you, much you're getting Phil Steele and John Wilner mixed up, aren't you? No, Phil Steele said the same thing. Oh, he did. Yes, I, I just, yeah, I don't know. Phil Steele just pisses me off. 
You love them. Go yeah. ahead. Go ahead. Let's argue about this too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I bought his magazine, so I guess I got to be a little bit of an apologist. But yeah, I, I think that, and maybe it's the fatigue of, of putting Washington first and trying to drum up storylines, but I don't see it. I think Washington runs away with the, the Pac-12. And All right, dog fans. That's going to be it for the episode. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Bow down. Go dogs.